But now, Ellen Steen celebrates the birthday and career of one of the world's most prolific electric bass guitarists in It's All About the Bass, Carol Kay at 80. Can you name this tune? Or this one? And finally... They were, of course, California Girls by the Beach Boys, These Boots Were Made for Walkin', and the Mission Impossible theme. And they all featured a bass player called Carol Kay. As part of a small group of elite session musicians based in Los Angeles during the 1960s and 70s, Kay played guitar or electric bass on more than 10,000 sessions, working with artists ranging from Frank Sinatra to Frank Zappa. At a time when women playing electric instruments was considered at best a novelty and at worst a joke, Kay's place in the top tier of her field was unchallenged. I mean, Carol, she was really the, the pioneer. It was such a wonderful thing to think, oh, here is someone I can really actually look up to. So many of the songs that she's played on are basically songs that are etched into like our public consciousness. If you'd have told me that I was going to be the number one call bass player in the studios, I'd have said, you're nuts. I was born in the middle of the 30s, so I mean, so it was a rough time for everybody. My mother was still playing the piano a little bit in the, the silent movie houses, you know, so that, that's what she did. And my dad played the trombone in, in some big bands, and he traveled for a while. I finally convinced my mom at the age of nine, after we, we moved to California, because my dad was getting kind of mean, you know, mm. he, he was mean to her, and I said, you know, we, we don't need him. I, I'm nine years old, I, I can go ahead and work a little bit and help out, and, and that's what I did. She saved her pennies for about four years, and it, when I was 13, that she bought me a steel guitar, you know, and so I played that for a little bit. And then with, with a girlfriend, I went with her to see her, her guitar teacher in Long Beach, Horace Hatchett, H-A-T-C-H-E-T-T, we, we all called him Hatch. And he happened to be the finest uh, on the West Coast, but, by the way. And he must have heard something in me. He knew I was real poor. And, and he hired me to help him do some work, and he'd teach me then. The first lesson he gave me was this. I remember it. T for two, see? And then my, my, my teacher taught me how to transcribe music, that is, take it from the record. Now, this is a 78 record. You know, you couldn't slow it down to 33 and a third or anything. And, and here I'm writing down the music of Artie Shaw and Benny Goodman. And yeah, you got your ears going that way. And I was all alone, and I'd go to hear the Duke Ellington band and the Count Basie bands in these theaters. And here's this little white kid sitting in the front row, and it was mostly a black audience. You know, they were wonderful people. I felt like I was part of their family, you know. And it was safe in Los Angeles then, too. You know, you didn't have the crime then like you do now. At 14, I was kind of pretty already, and I was, I mean, I looked 18, you know, and I stacked my hair, so I, so I looked older. The first one or two or three gigs, my knees were shaking. You know, it's like, can I do this? You know, uh, I wasn't thinking I'm so young because you, you grew up fast back then. Now, the confidence started building up with each gig and then the teaching, too. It was all smiles all the time. Everybody seemed to like it. So I said, okay, maybe I can do this. It was a case of, do I want to eat or not? <laughs> do, do I want my mother to eat? As soon as I started playing and making money, it's like, 
okay, you associate money, buy food, put it on the table, I'm a success. And, and as a little kid, that's power. But it was safe down there. It was really nice. And people dressed up in suits to come here. You'd play jazz. It didn't matter if you were white or black or anything, but I was one of the few whites that, that was accepted down there because I could play. I worked two years for a Gibson Super 400 guitar that was beautiful, like a Stradivarius of a, of a guitar. I had a child at the age of 16. I wasn't married. I had to sell the Gibson to pay the hospital bill for, I mean, for my baby. People said, well, did you have a choice of this college or that college? I said, are you kidding? I left school at the 10th grade to pay for my baby, you know. There was a moment when I was so poor and she was growing so fast and she, she was growing out of her bassinet that I started to put her up for adoption and my mother kidnapped her and t took her to my sister's place. So I went to see about that and when I got home she, she had split with my baby, you know, so it, it, it was fortunate, you know. So I, I actually took a bus and just left for Tucson and uh, within a month or two I met my first husband, you know, and we, we got married. My first husband was a bass player, so I played guitar in a big band on the road for about a year and a half. And then when I started having kids, then I had to get a day job. My, my husband was a wonderful man. He was about 23 years older than me, and he was really in bad way with the booze, you know. He had a lifetime of booze, so I divorced him. I was working days as, as a typist, you know, like typing all these um, secret manuals for, for Bendix. You know, it was, I was ty typing missiles, you know, in the daytime and click, cleared for top secret, and then I'd go out and play bebop at night when half the band was on drugs. You know, so, okay, I gotta be careful. I'd go out during lunch hour, and I'd go out to the car and practice, you know, because I'd play some bebop jazz gig that night. And I think that the typing really does help. It was sure nice to accidentally get discovered in a jazz club when I was playing. Here's the stuff we were doing. Like a... So there I was doing that, and the producer, Bumps Blackwell, walked in. I had no idea who he was, but the band knew him. So he said, you want to do a record date? And this was back in 57. And I thought, well, okay, I really didn't want to because I had heard that if you go in the studio work, you lose your place in jazz. But I went and did the date. It was playing in back of Sam Cooke, so like, just doing this, see, summertime. And, you know, that, that kind of stuff, you know, it was easy money. And, and the players were real nice, and, and there, there were no drums to put up with, and no, no guys doing drugs in the back room or anything. It was real clean business. I got as much money that night as I did the whole week of, of, of my day job. But then I wound up on the um, Richie Valens stuff, you know, that just doing this. The first bass line was Latin. Kind of stuff. When you listen to the timbali, he's doing a rhythm like. Now Latin is. There's Latin. It's one, two, three, four. But Richie Valens, something about him, he was so nice and he was artistic, and it was such a pleasure to work for him that I thought, okay, the nightclubs are closing down, they're reopening as rock clubs, so that scene is getting 
kind of dead. Uh, I'll, I'll stay doing studio work. I mean, I was usually the only woman. So sometimes you'd have a harp player that was a woman. Women back in those days were known to have played jazz, you know, because they had women's bands, you know. During World War II, they had a lot of women's bands, and, and they had a lot of women in jazz, too. Uh, the men knew that they could play. Some of them didn't like it. You know, they'd say something, and then you say it back to them, and they stop. You know, so that, that, that's, a, that's the era that I grew up in. You know, The studio musicians all knew I could play, but there's always a couple of them who just can't stand women, or they use women, or something like that. And you always can tell, you know, the, the drummer or something says something, and so, okay, he's that kind of a guy. Okay, I'll, I'll fix him, <laughs> you know. She was kind of really out there on her own, like really <laughs> out there by herself in a wor in a sea of men with major egos I can only imagine. Gail Ann Dorsey, session musician, solo artist, and longtime bass player for David Bowie, among many others. But she had that great base of knowledge as being a jazz guitar player. And her feel and her choice of notes, and I'm actually getting goosebumps, I think, that was what inspired me more about her. I thought she's ju she is just as good as any of the men, if not better. She really was just a, such a competent and creative and just brilliant musician. Yeah, I went in with an attitude like, hey, kiss my butt, you know, hey, I'm playing in the bebop clubs, you know, so what are we doing here? <laughs> You know, that kind of stuff, you know. So, so I had a bad attitude, and I think it's that attitude that, that, that made them want me. You do what you can to the music, because you're there, you're hired, they're paying you a lot of money to sit there and come up with the right lines to make a so-so song into a hit record. You're putting the framework around it, you're playing good to make the singer sing good. That's your job. Record producer Mark Lawson. That's why the, that's why those session players and those people that she, Carol Carol herself and the people she played with in that time were so in demand and played on all those things because you knew you could bring them in and they would add something amazing and an embellishment that would make your hit, I guess, more of a hit. The first people that produced rock were older guys, you know, jazz fans. That, that some of them even played jazz, you know. As soon as the young guys, you know, like Mike Curb, Mike Lloyd, and th these guys were in the booth with Go Little Honda, da 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 da, this kind of stuff, we said, okay, don't tell them we play jazz. So they came in with their ideas, and we just played the simple things that they wanted to do, and we got to know each other real well that way. So you had to keep a very straight face because they'd come in and you knew that they didn't know much about music. When we first got started creating the framework for the recordings in the late 50s and the early 60s, most of the time there was no music. So we would write down the chord changes real fast. And we'd listen to the singer sing the song a couple of times. And so we'd immediately get ideas for our own instrument. I had switched to bass when the bass player didn't show up one time, about my fifth year in studio work. And here's the way this tune sounded like when we first did it. La -de -da -da -da. Fun, huh? <laughs> All of us, including Le I mean Leon Russell at the piano, we we were trying out lines. You know, about the third line I came up with, that Sonny said, "Hey, that, that's it. Let's do that one." And the beat goes on. 
And the beat goes on Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain But they gave it to, uh, to Bob West, the Fender bass player, you know, and you hear both of us playing that on the record then, yeah. The bass is the foundation of it all. It's on the bottom. It's, it's like the basement of a house, you know. You're doing both the rhythm, you, you're holding the groove, and you're playing certain notes that are forming an, an arrangement around the whole chord and around the singer, too. It's not that you have, if there's a hole that you put, have to put something in there. No, you have to form a bass line that makes it all sound good, and the responsibility of that really hit home with it. The role that the bass plays in the song is really running the show. Harmonically, the bass is in charge. I felt that the bass player is an arranger, yeah. The bass player has the notes, see, because you're the connection between the rhythm and the rest of the band. As a working mother 50 years ago, Kay faced some very contemporary pressures. I had a, a, another marriage for a while, too, so I had a third child, you know. I love my children. I made sure that I had a Dutch gal live in with us to help me with the children, take care of the children while I worked day and night. You know, I had the money to do it then. I kind of admired the men who, who had wives. I said, well, you know what I need? I need a wife, too. <laughs> At times, I'd, after my third child, I'd make sure to get home, so, by, I mean, by 1 o'clock in the morning, I could bathe her, give her a bath, and g give her, her one of her meals, you know. So, and I'd sing to her. And then I'd, I'd get up at 7 and then go, go to work again, you know, down the MGM. Sometimes you'd have to lie and just say, oh, I'm busy that weekend, because I'd take the kids away for the weekend and somewhere. There's a big lake, and I took the kids up there, and we were camping, and, and the kids were having a good time. They found me up there. They said, you better get your ass back down to L.A. We have a film call tomorrow. Get back to L.A. immediately. And so packed up the kids, drove all the way back. You're working day and night, and you're not getting any sleep. You can't turn it down because you knew someday it was going to stop. <laughs> and you're living on coffee. That's what you lived on. People think that we all did drugs, you know, like the people that we recorded for us. Are you kidding? We had to have coffee to stay awake during those dates, you know. So sometimes that music was very boring. Or we'd wait for the producer, like Phil Spector, would keep saying, oh, let's do another take, 35 takes on a date for one tune for three hours. My God. Phil Spector, he showed signs of being a little off-kilter back then. In the movies about him, they don't show this. They show him in a suit. Well, he, he, he wore that suit maybe about a tenth of the time. The other times when he'd come in the studio, he dressed like a king, like the king of England or something. He had special clothing made from that era, you know, as if he's going to court or something in England in 1500. He, yeah, he dressed like that. Phil Spector, for the most part, to me, was okay. Uh, he did love to kid with the musicians, and he'd kid hard. Somebody's having a tough time with the part, he'd ride them a little bit, see. I think he just grew up so fast with the money and with, with people not talking back to him, see. He'd have me on guitar, and I played the guitar on You've Lost That Loving Feeling. Uh, I mean, it, it was an acoustic guitar, but... There was so much echo in the phones that the bass player, who, who was Ray, Ray Pullman, uh, and it was Earl Palmer and drums, and I know Earl, he just lays it down. But the beat was lagging, like, boom, 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 boom. This is 
what I played on the guitar. So I just bore it down. Come on, guys, here it is. But there was so much echo on the phones, I think, that they couldn't groove, you know. And you hear me doing bump in the bridge. Come on, Ray, <laughs> don't slow down. <laughs> baby, baby, I'd get down on my knees for you. On the River Deep Mountain High date, they had us all cramped in the studios. A lot, a lot of musicians on that. I think there were two, two of us bass players and then a string bass, too. I forget what key it was in. When I was a little girl, I had a brag of Only dog I've ever owned Now I love you just the And it was all written that way, too. And it was the usual Phil Spector sound and date, but it felt like a party going on. You know, there was a ton of people in the booth as friends, songwriters, and VIPs in, in, in town in Hollywood were there. It was all like kind of a party. People have it wrong out there. They think, oh, you got a party to cut a hit record. That's not true. You have to be serious. You have to pay, pay attention. The focus has to be on the hit record, not not having fun, you know. Some artists became particular favorites. I was doing a lot of records for Ray Charles, and I love Ray Charles. He was beautiful to me. He was just great. He, he didn't pat me on the fanny or anything, you know. He was really good. I'd, I'd tease him, you know, because he'd get in the booth and he'd finger the knobs, you know. I said, oh, boy, Ray, I bet you give a good massage. <laughs> you know, I tease it a little bit. I don't need no doctor. The bass part was originally written. Just that, see? the horns, you know, but I, you know, improvised on it. Joe Cocker, wow, what, what a man, you know. I get to the date, but I'm happy because I'm, I'm thinking that I'm going to get a call from from a boyfriend, a new boyfriend, a, a string bass player is a nice man, you know. So I didn't get the call, but I, I went to the date happy anyway, you know. So I, I get to the date, and, and I meet Joe Cocker. He's standing in the room, and he's singing, and, you know, we're it's just a, just a two-chord tune. We start inventing our parts, you know. And uh, you heard Joe singing right there in the studio. Joe was there with all his moves and everything. And I, I fell in love with him because he had the sound of Ray Charles in a way. You know, he, he had that, that rough edge like that. And we're doing, uh, let's see. I feel it all, I feel it all. I love the colorful clothes you wear 
what happened with the Beach Boys music, Brian Wilson would bring the music in, we could read it, and it was great music. It was, the bass lines, the uh, different, see? I just sight read the parts. That's the only time that I didn't make up the bass lines. Brian Wilson had great ears. He, he really did. He, he heard things in a funny way sometimes, and it worked. We liked to work for him, too, because he was very, very nice. He kid with us, but he knew the parts. He sat down and played the piano. He said, this is the feel of the tune, and he'd get through it once or twice, and then he'd go back to the booth, and then we'd start to cut. Now, he, again, was like Phil Spector in the sense that he did one tune per three-hour date. The rest of the guys that we worked for would do four or five tunes in that time. The session musicians concealed a dark secret. None of the groups cut their own things. And later on, they started to arrange. They would write more. But they still hired us to invent our lines on top of those arrangements. We kept quiet about it. You know, we worked for about six, seven straight years without any sleep. And that's all of us. We, we were busy getting the record dates because we knew someday it was going to stop. It, it finally did stop a few years after I quit it. You just sense that it wasn't going to last, you know, because you can't keep putting out that energy and create your lines year after year after year. And the music styles were changing. In 1969, Kay published How to Play the Electric Bass, which has remained a classic of its kind. With personal and professional changes underway, she subsequently turned more towards recording film and television scores, as well as teaching. Learn quarterly. Learn your chord notes and learn your time groove. Practice with the metronome on two and four. When you can't hear the metronome, then you've got good time. If you can hear the metronome, you're still not in time yet. Tina Weymouth, basis for Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club. Well, she wrote the book, I mean, on how to play the electric bass guitar, and she does. And she's taught just about everybody great out there. I mean, she taught Jaco Pastorius. He was a great bass player who studied with her very ardently. You have to think of the rhythm as a straight jacket from which you may not stray. Groove must keep pushing along and pulsing like a machine. The groove can be taught because it's a good sense of time. Myself, I'm not brave enough to, like, face her. I have too many bad techniques, I'm sure. Most groups tend to rush or they drag or their technique is so bad that they lose the sense of time, see? I've played on a lot of those big films, and when you're in the room playing with the 74-piece orchestra, the finest in the world, that's a thrill and a half, you know? I mean, I mean, they... I, I felt like I should pay them for, for the honor of being there with them all. The way we were with, with 
Barbara Streisand w- w- was cut at TTG, and it was with a live orchestra. And th- that's the first record date that, that I had done in, in a while, you know, with the, the whole band there. The feeling of one person playing all the parts is just the feeling of one person. It doesn't really grab you. You, you need the feelings of a lot of people playing together. There's something about having everyone in the room. It's, it's the air, it's the way the drums bleed into the piano and the bass bleed back into the drums that when you listen to it, it sounds like a room. You don't get that stuff if you're recording four people individually at different times. Like You have to have people in the room and playing. And they have me just doing um, like this. Just simple things. They had a, the part written like that, and I thought, okay, that's good for the strings, but the weight of the band and the song and everything could use them. So I started playing more notes, and conductor quickly said, just play the part, Carol. So I just played the part, and we did 32 takes on that over and over. And she, she, she was singing in the booth and singing her heart out, too. You you knew that she was going for it. Nothing was happening with the band. So the 33rd take, I thought, okay, I'm going for it. I don't care if they fire me or what. I'm going for it. Well, that was the hit, that 33rd take. And I never did meet her because all the string players rushed up to meet her. And I was like, God, I've got to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, it was late at night. And I thought, oh, I've got to go. I'm the kind that thinks that you should be married with a white picket fence in the home and stay home, take care of the children, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Something I never did do. I had married again for a short time, but it was to a young man, and it didn't work out. And, and I, I had lost the fellow that I had feeling all right when I cut the feeling. Oh, that 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 guy called me, by the way, and we, we had our first date, and he died uh, within a few months after that. You know, so it made me think of him when I cut that song. What's too painful to remember? I used to ask Quincy Jones, I said, well, why do you have to have me all the time? He said, because you're the only one that gets that sound that cuts through with the whole orchestra like that. Plus, uh, I'm the one that was inventing the funky lines when they needed it. She had that feel in that pocket that the Motown players had, but she also had this kind of quite heavy, could be quite aggressive, and you had to be heard over a thousand other people playing. You had flat-wound strings, all these things that went into her sound that White's big and tougher than any of the soul recordings or even the rock recordings of that time. You can feel the strings. They sound like they're like thick as rope. It's the technique again. I played with the pick. Everybody played with the pick on the bass back then. You lay your wrist down on the bass, not up. It's wonderful that people want to find out who really did play on the records. And they get to know us a little bit, too. I have a, a problem with the staritis thing. It seems like they want us to be stars, and and they want people to be stars. But when you're a star, you can be torn down by the same audience. My feeling has always been that we are professional musicians. It takes everybody, including the people that deliver your instruments, the people that make the music copy, it takes everybody to, to make a hit record, not just the players, see. 
I wanted to be as good as I could be. That's the only goal I had, because I knew if I was as good as I could be, then the money would come, see. I'm in with the in crowd. Eighty this year, Kay lives in the high desert outside Los Angeles, where she continues to do session work and produce instructional CDs and books. Still embracing new technology, she now teaches online, offering affordable one-to-one tutorials via Skype. The program was presented by Ilan Steen, produced by Clive Brill, and is a Brill production for BBC Radio Four.